everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bank Statements Podcast, part of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka podcast series. Today, we are talking to Leslie Mondesier and Sam Thomas from our Member Solutions Department. Welcome, Sam and Leslie. Do you guys want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves? Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here. My name is Leslie Mondesier. I am the Member Solutions Manager in our Member Solutions Department, and I've been here at the bank for about six years. My primary role is to work with our regional account managers um, and support their um, coverage of the membership base um, here in the district. Wonderful. Uh, Let's hear from you, Sam. Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Sam Thomas. Uh, I've been working at the bank for seven years now. Um, while I've been here, worn a number of different hats, um, started in a strategic planning role, and then also picked up um, working in our, our headquarters uh, construction project and worked as kind of a building analyst there for about a year. And then when the member solutions department was founded, uh, kind of rolled into this and have been working in a supportive role for about the last four years. Great. I know that in addition to helping the regional account managers come up with solutions for our members, I know that I have worked with you guys on a lot of reports for our financial intelligence site where it's reports that you've put together. Is it on a quarterly basis? You guys put those together for financial intelligence. So it's just another tool or resource for our members. Uh, one, I know one thing we wanted to talk about here today is just the reports just to make sure our listeners know a little bit more about these reports that are available to them. These reports are a compilation of economic and financial data from the financial institutions in our four state region of Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska and Oklahoma. And they can be found on our public website under financial intelligence, where we have a lot of great strategies and resources but today I wanted to talk, go a little bit deeper in some of the more recent reports you guys have written. So, Leslie, I thought we might start off with you and the 10th District Community Financial Institutions report. At a high level, what kind of information can our members find in this report? Balance sheet, profitability, asset quality, liquidity, mergers and acquisitions. Of all of those things that are in the report, are there any trends that you want to highlight from this year in 2022? Our members continue to swim in excess liquidity as deposit growth exceeds loan demand. Loan growth, excluding PPP loans, was positive for the fourth consecutive quarter at the quarter end March 31st of 22. A slowdown in mortgage banking activity is on the horizon as interest rates rapidly rise, refinance opportunities dissipate, and mortgage originations decline. Lower yielding assets, they continue to represent a growing portion of the balance sheet composition on the asset side as institutions have continued to move cash into securities to take advantage of the yield curve shift as deployment into loans has been limited. The swift rise in interest rates has had a significant negative impact on the market value of bonds and bank portfolios. Held to maturity portfolio balances have jumped during the first quarter as some institutions look to avoid the impact of that volatility. Deposits have risen nearly $100 billion in the past eight quarters, all of which has been in non-maturity deposit accounts. Uh, The stability of these deposits is unknown and could be vulnerable as the Fed ratchets up interest rates and continues to shrink its balance sheet. And related to deposits, the cost of funds 
remain historically low. An inflection point for deposit cost is nearing. Deposit betas are now a recurring topic of discussion. And betas, um, how much of the rate hike is passed on through the customer, um, which translates to higher funding costs for the institutions. Some expect deposit betas. They'll be lower than in past tightening cycles due to the excess liquidity sitting in the banking system. However, competition with non-traditional bank entities may challenge that expectation. Um, there's a lot more non-traditional bank um, entities that are competing for bank deposits, and these institutions did not receive the same surge of deposits that um, traditional banking institutions did. So they are increasing their deposit rates quicker than our bank and credit union members. The rapid pace of rate hikes may also alter deposit pricing decisions compared to the last hiking cycle where rates rose gradually over time. Net interest margins continue to plunge lower during the first quarter even as rate liftoff commenced. The cost of funds remaining historically low, there's going to be a floor there, and we've probably close to reaching that. Loan growth, um, I should say, um, yield on the asset side should get a boost as rates move higher and loans move through their interest rate floors. Competition for loans has kept pressure on yields also and remains a headwind to margin expansion as all institutions, banks, credit unions, insurance companies, non-bank lenders are all seeking higher quality assets to put on their balance sheet. Uh, those are just a few highlights. Just a, just a few <laughs> highlights from this report. Yeah, those are some pretty heavy highlights, too, although I'm sure it's not news to a lot of our listeners. Uh, one more thing I want to ask you about this report is um, it's my understanding that in the report there are various peer groups established so members can view the data in a way more meaningful way. Um, can you tell us what peer groups appear in the report and how that data is broken out? Sure. So we break out the members' financial data in a variety of ways to give members the option to compare their um, how their institution might be performing against a in a couple different um, segments. So we do compare the performance of financial performance of our members versus a national peer group um, in the beginning of the report and then some detail that's further back in the report. We also segment our members based on their asset size, where they're located geographically, by state within our district, and then also by their primary business focus. So whether that's they're an agriculture-focused bank, commercial, uh, residential, um, or those that are more diversified. Thank you for that. That clarifies the peer groups for me. So I've been following this report quarterly since its inception. For It's been going on, what, about two years now? Two Is years, yep. And I've noticed outside the staple topics that appear every quarter that you mentioned, there's also some one-off topics that are included. What can report readers expect as far as those one-off topics go? Maybe mention some topics included in the past and some we can expect going forward. A few that we've had in the past um, 
out Ryan Gilliland, our government relations officer, he will occasionally provide, and we call it a Washington update, um, what's going on in D.C. Um, and any topics that might have an impact on our um, within our district or the banking industry overall, um, especially during election time. Ryan will uh, right, put something together for us, and we'll share that with our members. And then also later in the year, we put together a study on the shifting deposit landscape, and uh, we look at how deposits are shifting among um, specifically urban versus rural um, institutions, uh, as well as larger in, between smaller and larger institutions. Do you have any one takeaway for the listeners that may be looking at this report for the first time and may not have the time to just dive in and read the in, the report in its entirety? I would say to stick with the executive summary. Um, like you said, it is very comprehensive. Um, you can, or there's also a list of all the... Um, metrics and line items that we track that are included in the report. And you can look at those and tells you what page number and go pick those certain metrics that you might be focused on at your institution and go and see how you compare. Yeah, I think that's actually my favorite part of the report is all the pictures, the graphs on the last few pages. Uh, I like to look at those because it I'm just more of a visual person. So Thanks so much, Leslie, for explaining some of those things to us. Sam, I'm going to jump over to you now as we talk about the 10th District economic update. What can our members expect to get out of this report? And how does that differ from the financial trends report that Leslie was just discussing? Yep. Thanks, Jesse. Both reports are really meant to give our members some perspective as to the current financial landscape, but with a focus on the 10th District. But whereas the member trends takes kind of an internal approach and looks at developments or emerging trends in our members' financials, uh, the economic update tries to explain these external factors and what may be driving these trends. Uh, you know, what's inflation doing? Where are interest rates? What's the Fed signaling? Um, what's the market predicting versus the Fed? Uh, and then, you know, how does growth in our state's economies compare to the rest of the country? Uh, the 10th district is a bit unique in that two sectors drive a lot of the economic growth that we see quarter to quarter, uh, that being ag and energy. Uh, we know the important role that the ag sector plays to our Kansas and Nebraska members, as well as energy for our Oklahoma members. Uh, so we provide some trend analysis and commodity pricing there uh, and also some color in those areas as well and try and get some insight into what's driving changes. Okay. So can you give us a really high level overview of the various sections of the report. Yeah. No, I'll just, I'll walk kind of step-by-step step through the sections of our upcoming report. Uh, so our members can know what to expect when it's released over the next week or two. Uh, but I'll caveat by saying we want this report to be first and foremost, uh, as valuable as possible to our members. Um, we try and keep the color topical and speak to the major developments in each of these areas. But if there's indicators that our members are wanting to see charted or specific sectors that you'd like us to take a little deeper dive into, please feel free to reach out and let us know. And we're happy to incorporate it. That said, 
we start off the report by taking kind of a bird's eye view of the most recent quarter's GDP growth and the top contributing sectors driving this growth. The state data lags the national report by a couple of months. So where we'll know we'll have a, a second straight quarter of negative US GDP growth here in a week, uh, we won't get down to kind of the granular state specific second quarter growth until late September. Uh, and that's also true of a lot of indicators throughout this report. We may know the national data weeks or even months before the states, uh, but that's just kind of the nature of the reporting. And uh, probably why you'll see some either first or early second quarter data here in July's report. After GDP growth, we move to the employment and labor situation. Uh, here you'll see unemployment, labor force participation, wage growth figures. Like the rest of the country, unemployment in our district has steadily ticked down since peaking in 2020 during the height of the pandemic. Uh, I'll also mention that our states are pretty resilient and uh, fairly resistant to the major swings that you typically see uh, on the east and west coast um, during times of recession or expansion. So right now we're sitting among the top five, top 10 states in most of these labor-related statistics. From there, we roll into a discussion on interest rates and inflation. And <laughs> that's why I went back and listened to our last episode when we discussed these reports. Uh, it's been over a year since that was recorded, and even back then, this was the biggest item going. Obviously, interest rates are going to be a topic of note, but all the way back in June of last year, we were asking, is this inflation truly transitory like the Fed is saying? You know, should the Fed be lifting off from zero interest rate policy? Uh, even back then, we, we posited a scenario where the inflation wasn't temporary, where the Fed would be scrambling to raise rates and would effectively throw the economy back into recession. And now here we are a year later. The CPI is nearly double what it was then. We've had back-to-back -back hikes of 25, 50, 75 basis points, and now another 75 basis point hike on the way. And GDP, forecast, GDP forecasts for the second quarter are showing negative, which is typically grounds for a recession. So the attention paid to this area isn't going away anytime soon. Definitely an area of interest for our members and something I know that they'll be keyed on uh, when making pricing decisions moving forward. Next, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we look at a few indicators on an industry level, namely ag and energy and some pricing trends there. And then we close out the report by touching on housing, both pricing and then expected inventories uh, using the authorized building permits statistic. Our district has not been immune to the massive growth in housing prices that we've seen around the country. Since the pandemic and the advent of remote work, we're seeing a lot of workers leaving big cities in favor of suburban and rural areas. Uh, since existing home inventory is limited and input costs for new home builds remain at all-time highs, the cost to get into one of these homes continues to skyrocket. And then, interestingly, we're seeing permits for single-family housing starting to decline, and multifamily permitting is up. This is especially true in our Colorado and Nebraska states. And having driven through Denver recently and seeing all the apartments that are going up around downtown, that emerging trend does not surprise me. But yeah, that's kind of a high-level overview of the report. And again, that format could change slightly, quarter to quarter, depending on what's top of mind or what we're hearing from our members. But that's what our readers can kind of expect when checking out our report. That's all really interesting. Well, is there anything else that maybe stands out to you? Any just key, you gave us a bird's eye view of all the sections, which is great. But I am just wondering if there are any trends that you're seeing that maybe surprised you? Yeah, and so I don't think we really touch on this in this most recent report, but it's definitely something that's going on in the background and driving some of 
uh, the most recent trends, and that is the Ukraine and Russia conflict. Um, so prior to Russia's invasion, you had kind of a number of factors that were contributing to inflation. Um, there were commodity inventory shortages still lingering from the pandemic. You had economies that were in major expansion mode as COVID policies were being lifted. Um, and that was driving pretty high demand. And then you had all these transportation issues that were stemming from the supply chain bottlenecks. Um, shipping containers were stuck at ports for weeks and months on end. Uh, and that was just further limiting the supply of goods. So take that stage and then wipe out 10% of global wheat trade, 15% of global corn trade, um, major suppliers of barley, sunflower meals, sunflower oil, uh, as well as the third highest producer of crude oil worldwide. So prices for these commodities just saw exponential growth essentially overnight. And the ripple effect has had a major impact on our domestic economies. Um, there's probably theses being written on these dynamics at play here, but uh, you're certainly seeing farmers and drillers in the 10th district looking to take advantage of these higher prices. Um, reports are that some producers are using these profits to pay down debts uh, and, and brace for what looks like a, a pending recession. Um, and there's definitely some cyclicality to this as well because crop growing seasons and whatnot but it would not surprise me to see a bump in ag and energy borrowing this year as producers look to take advantage of those high prices um i don't think you'll see a massive scramble for new farmland or for new drilling or whatnot because i don't think you want these producers want to overextend themselves when this crisis could lift at any moment but it's definitely a development that we're keeping an eye on and i'm sure our members are watching that as well I think you bring up a really good point. Um, you, everything going on with Ukraine and Russia, I think it was such a big deal at the beginning of the year of 2022. And we've just had so much happen, everything in the news at all times. I think that it becomes, <laughs> it's be kind of gone back into the background. And I don't think people are considering that it is still definitely impacting what's going on here in the United States. So yep. inflation ain't going away anytime soon. That's what I keep hearing. <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining me today. You guys have given us a lot of information, and I hope that our members will go to our financial intelligence page and check out the most recent reports that we've put out. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts to add before we conclude this episode? One thought I had, or I guess it's a um, something to share with members, is... If you are interested in looking at the see how you specifically compare to um, the district or a specific set of peers, you can certainly reach out to us um, and we can customize a report for you. Um, you can also visit our member solutions page on the bank's website and listed there is a variety of tools and analysis that we uh, can put together and provide to members and work with your regional account manager to do so. Um, and on that landing page, there is a form you can fill out and it will come to us with your request and we can follow up with you then. I'm glad you mentioned that, Leslie. That's one thing I, I don't know if people take advantage of it as much as they should is that member solutions page. That's just another tool or resource for our members that we offer. Uh, I want to, if you've 
never been to it before. It's, it's the, the products drop down if you're on the main website. That's right. And there should be a, a tab there for the member solutions page. That's right. I was going to try to give you the full uh, URL to it, but I think that that's the safest way to get there is just to go to the products menu on our website yeah. and you'll see member solutions in the drop down. If you also go to our website, fhlbtopeka.com, utilize some of these tools to help you get through the next year. Maybe <laughs> it's really good to look at trends and what's going on in our district. So again, thank you both for joining me today. Uh, I appreciate your time and all these great reports you're putting out. Thank Thanks you, for having us. I hope our listeners will join us next time as we speak with Dale Scheller from the Baker Group. He is going to be one of our keynote speakers at our upcoming regional meetings. But for our podcast, he's going to give us a little bit of an overview of what he and his colleagues will be speaking about at the regional meetings. And it has to do with marginal cost of funds, which I know is a hot topic right now. So thank you again. And we will see you next time. Bank Statements Podcast is brought to you by the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka and our members, the community financial institutions in Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To learn more about our cooperative and get the most out of your membership, reach out to your regional account manager or our friendly lending staff at 800-809-2733.